The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, everybody. Good morning. It is Tuesday, May 2nd. And at this hour, I'm going to talk to a top-producing multifamily sales agent that is consistently ranked in the top 10 most active brokers in New York City for multifamily properties on the commercial side of our business. We're always talking about the residential side. Also at this hour, a Bronx real estate boom helped to create more than 365 buildings in the borough last year, according to a report released last Wednesday. Residents who say the surge is part of the Bronx's growing popularity hope the new developments don't price out their neediest neighbors. Will the Bronx become the next knit-it neighborhood? We will find out. Plus, the panel is here for Hot Topics. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, the number is 1-866-472-5788. That is 1-866-472-5788. Okay, so if you are a million-dollar listing New York fan, this news may be of interest. As uh, as if Ryan Serhant and Frederick Eklund didn't have enough going on, Bravo just announced yesterday that the two million-dollar listing stars are now getting their own shows on that Bravo network. Serhant's show will be called Sell It Like Serhant and will feature him helping struggling sales representatives desperate for his expertise. These people, these salespeople will not necessarily work in real estate either, meaning that part of the show will be watching Sirhan learn different trades. You can just imagine that hilarity will ensue. Eklund's show, on the other hand, called Bethany and Frederick Property Project, will focus exclusively on real estate. He is teaming up with Housewives' best buddy and fellow Bravo star Bethany Frankel, and the duo will look for, buy, and renovate multi-million dollar properties Who can expect big flipping gambles in the hopes of even bigger payouts? Oh, boy. I would suggest, though, that they change the title of that show. Bethany and Frederick Property Project. Not not a good one. Anyway, President Barack Obama's bachelor pad in Park Slope is now on the market. The brownstone at 642nd Street, where the former president lived in his pre-Michelle days, is asking just shy of $4.3 million. Commissioned in 1903, the three-story house has five bedrooms and four fireplaces at approximately 3,860 square feet. The asking price works out to around $1,113 per square foot. Obama and his then-girlfriend shared a top-floor apartment in the mid-1980s after he graduated from Columbia University. And so moving on, my guest today is Peter Vander Eyre from New York Multifamily. New York Multifamily operates out of the New York offices of Marcus and Millichap. Millichap is a leading firm. They are a leading firm specializing in commercial real estate investment sales, financing, research, and advisory services with offices across the United States and Canada. Their services are customized and personalized to meet the diverse needs of private investors. 
professionals, and institutions. Peter is a top producing multifamily agent there, and he has consistently ranked the top 10 most active brokers in New York City for multifamily properties. He and his team have set various records and has facilitated property transactions in all neighborhoods. In 2010, Peter published his first book, Family Secrets, Secret Strategies to New York Multifamily Investing. This book conveys several firsthand experiences detailing how to successfully invest in New York City multifamily marketplace. Good morning. Good morning. And thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Vince. All right. So let's start with, you know, telling us a little bit about, you know, your start in real estate and why you choose commercial versus residential. Because most people coming in, I believe, to the industry these days at very young ages, by the way, I mean, the, t- the tides have completely changed, mostly choose the residential side. Tell us about the, the choice in commercial. Well, I think my, uh, my first exposure to the commercial side actually happened when I was, uh, I guess, growing up. My, one of my older brothers, who's about 13 years older than me, was a commercial leasing broker. Got it. He's a broker in Los Angeles. And watching him go through his experiences... And the ups and the downs, you know, we, we always say the high highs and the low lows and, uh, you know, the fa- fast pacedness of the business gave me that exposure of what he was doing on the commercial side. Uh, for whatever reason, I was just more interested in multifamily. Um, and I think there was something in there that um, when you look at a building that way, the income is divided amongst multiple different units, but it also had a creative aspect because you're talking about, okay, how do you create value inside these units and once you figured how how to do that in one unit, you could do it in 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 or however many units. So those were kind of some components that were interesting to me and I think why I was initially drawn to multifamily. So for the listeners around the world who don't necessarily understand New York City real estate, let alone commercial real estate, explain to the listeners out there this morning what exactly is multifamily housing. Okay. Well, Vince, most of the people on your show and most of what you talk about uh, is residential. When you say residential, it's co-ops and condos and townhouses, townhouses, right. And so that's, you know, it's it's properties that are sold for the user. Uh, Generally, when you talk about multifamily, you're talking about an entire building, which will have multiple units in it. And most of the time, uh, they're held for investment or purchased for investment purchases only. Sometimes in New York City, because you've got so many different nuances of the so like New York- a landlord. If it, just to to clarify, a landlord landlord type of person would come in buy the building that has multifamilies and go from there. That's correct. That's correct. So it's primarily an invest an investment. Um, you know, one aspect that I come across sometimes where our two worlds start to cross over is you'll see someone who will be an investor and will buy a. 25-unit elevator building on the Upper East Side, and they'll buy it, and 80% of the reason why they'll buy that building will be for an investment. But the other 20% will be, they'll they'll say, oh, you know what, I'm going to take the top two, you know, the two units on the top floor and combine them. So we do have some crossover in in the user space, but uh, my world, you know, by and large is all about investment. We have Matt here and we have Parul here as well, Um, but I just wanted to ask you guys, because I, I was in... Uh, a situation, I think maybe three years ago, where I almost sold a multifamily building, and it was in the West Village. I don't remember the price point, 12 or $15 million. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a big building. 
And I was excited because I hadn't done anything like that in the past. You know, you stick to what you know and stick to what you're good at. And so here comes this opportunity. It didn't go to to, to deal. But anyway, I got a little bit of experience. Have you guys done anything on that level at all? Well, not $15 million, But two weeks ago, I did just go into contract on a multifamily in Bushwick oh, right, for sure. $2 million, um, or just under $2 million. And that's it's basically what you just said about the you know the user so my clients are going to live in the top four floors and then on the ground floor there's a two bedroom that they'll rent out so that they can get some rental income and it actually is very interesting when it comes to their mortgage so two, it's cool two, two million in bushwick is pretty good wow i mean that it, was not that much the building is huge it's like 4500 square feet oh, so okay. when you think about it that way i can't even imagine it's amazing yeah. amazing yeah. right and when you look at some of those markets where the multifamily buildings these apartment buildings are not they're not the biggest in the world they're six units four units eight units um and you look at the price per foot that an, uh, an owner user is going to buy that building and use it versus what they're going to pay on a townhouse you you mentioned you know barack obama's former Right. Former residents going, you know, it's on the price, it's on the market for eleven hundred dollars a foot, and you can pick some of these up for, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars a foot. And that's so, what people are looking at when yeah. they discover, and I use the word loosely, but discover these new neighborhoods Correct. like Crown Heights and Bushwick and all these, you know, p- places where people didn't want to purchase in the past, but now because the price per square foot and the gentrification is swift and rapid. So, you know, in a year from now, it's a whole different neighborhood. Exactly. And yet you paid much less than if you would have gone into an already established hood. I mean, that's the story of real estate in this town. Right. Your uh, New York multifamily sells multifamily buildings in the New York City targeting the middle middle market between 10 and $100 million. In the past two years, your company has sold nearly 200 buildings at a total of almost I I don't have the number here, but two billion, two billion dollars, two billion. Yeah. Who's your competition in this marketplace? So when I say we're in the middle middle market, we kind of walk the line between where your larger private investors are, and then also where your smaller institutions are. So our competitors in in our space are all the large commercial uh, brokerage firms, and some of those are uh, national. You know, a lot of them are international. So, um, you know, those are generally our 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 competition. What price points do you consider to be mid-market? We loosely define it as Mm -hmm. between 10 and 100 million. Right. That's what I figured. Yeah. And and it's so but funny, that, but that but that's a big. That's Can you a, imagine if we could big sell right. that range? That, that's that's a that would yeah, be, that'd be hilarious. Right, that's that, <laughs> yeah, We'd be we'd be working from the beach most days. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Right, that that's a very large range, but that's you know, if you said this yeah. in any other city of the world, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't make sense. I it mean, doesn't resonate anywhere else but here. And and I oftentimes get emails from listeners around the world. And they react basically to the prices that we talk about, even on a $20 million apartment here in New York or even a $10 million apartment. It just doesn't stick. I mean, because but it's you so know what, though? I was that. just going to say that even on the residential side, I mean, right now, currently live, um, I'm working with somebody who was looking to, they thought initially, well, we want to spend about 10 to $12 million to buy a place that's like about four bedrooms with great outdoor space and great closets, right? So they start out at that price range. And, you know, I walk them into one of my favorite buildings in Walker Tower and uh, showed Fantastic. them something that was at 14, which was just slightly above what they wanted. But I just sort of started figuring out what quality level they preferred. And as soon as I showed them that apartment, they said, this is perfect, but I, we want a bigger terrace. And within, you know, a time period of 30 minutes, we jumped from 14 to 20 to, you know, over that price point. 
And now they're looking at stuff that's closer to $30 million. So even within residential, as much as that's not a spread with the same client between 10 and 100 million, um, you know, the spread is there for us as well. You know, and even with the same clients, it can be pretty large. One of the things that I've always observed in uh, in the commercial marketplace, you know, comparing and contrasting to residential is, you know, what I call time to deal seems a lot longer on the commercial side. Yes, the numbers are higher. And yes, you can do a $50 million or a $30 million or whatever, $100 million. But the time that you get that to deal or to close might be a lot longer because obviously it's a bigger transaction and a lot more things going on. How many transactions do you, you know, kind of generate in a year based on that? I mean, an agent, a resale agent can do 50 deals a year, can do 100 deals a year. Louise always talks about last year doing 100 plus deals. So, I mean, you know, how many can you get done in a year? So, our team, uh, you know, our team over the past two years has sold about 100 buildings a year. But you, like you point out, the time to do a deal for on the commercial side is a lot more, you know, it's, it's longer. Our, typically, from marketing to close, it'll be about six months. So about three months of marketing and another three months of closing. Um, the question mark in there is to, you know, we call it to due diligence, our mm-hmm. diligence period mm-hmm. before we go into contract, which is also a unique part of doing it in New York City. And most other cities, if you buy a a multifamily building or any commercial building, you will have a due diligence period in the contract. And I think in some of your residential deals, you guys have that as well. That's not the case in New York City multifamily. All the due diligence is done ahead of, uh, ahead of uh, signing the contract. But the diligence here has gotten a lot more complex. If you look at rent regulation, Absolutely. all the city agencies, um, you know, the laws that need to be, be, you know, be followed and if those laws are not followed correctly, what can happen? There's been court cases now that have pierced uh, a four-year look back, a several-year look back. So there are some landmines in the future that if you don't dot your I's and cross your T's, that can come up to bite a buyer uh, later on, you know, later on as they do. We're going to get we're so. going to get more into that, but I have to leave it right there. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. 
Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. We're talking to Peter Vanderheer from New York Multi uh, Family. And I, Va- Vandere. Vandere, excuse me. Vandere. Yeah, what did Thank I say? Vandere. Van it trailed off a little bit there. But, we, we, but look, we got it in the, in the second segment. We, we do you, do it you up. see how I scribbled that? Oh, that's so I can't I remember. Love that. Yeah, we got it. Okay. So I wanted to follow up on that, on the multifamily thing, where um, the rent stabilized um, renters in this town had a two year rent freeze. So when you're out there trying to sell multifamily units or buildings, how has that affected the purchaser? I mean, are they c- taking that into serious consideration, thinking that maybe that freeze will go one more year or it's not a big deal? Yeah, so this subject comes up a lot. And obviously, the two-year rent freeze has made a lot of headlines. And de Blasio can go around and say, hey, you know, I'm really giving something to you tenants. Um, but the interesting thing about New York City multifamily ownership as compared to other cities is that in New York City – you're trying to get the tenants out of the building. In if you owned a, an apartment building in Florida or Texas, you're trying to keep the tenants in. Mm. So no one who's buying, even rent-regulated buildings, uh, is buying the buildings because they're depending on the increases from the city. Um, if you if that was your only you know, bedrock of your business plan, uh, it wouldn't go very far. You know, you're you're buying these buildings. A lot of the housing stock is so old here. You're buying it to invest money in and it improve it and hopefully as through good ownership the rents will rise so you're saying more of like an end goal it's more of a long term whereas ha- yeah i feel like rent stay if you focus on rent stabilize it'd be more of like a short term thinking correct yeah correct i mean look that's a huge part of the of the business but the average hold period for a multifamily owner in new york city and you have so many generations that have owned, owned buildings here it's 60 years Amazing. All right, that's an interesting comment because I wanted to. I was thinking about something as you were talking. So sixty years. All right. Yeah. So how many apartments would you guys sell if your average owner right, owned them the, for sixty years? Right. These how days, much, the what average, would your turnover be? The average ownership in the city for resi is sorry, residential for everyone out there is like five to seven years. So it's so different, and it has been for a while. But you know, yeah. so what? What? What compels a, a, a property owner after sixty years in the family to eventually sell? that property or to convert it to a condo these days because no one's converting to co-ops anymore. What What's the impetus there to get them to say, I need to make a change. I've been a landlord for too long and I want to do something. Too many heirs. <laughs> too many heirs. Yeah. Too many heirs. Yeah, right. With, with, with That starts with an H, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, look, that's part of it. I mean, part of it is- That's I, a big problem. Right. Big, that's big a problem. big, big problem. And and, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, sometimes we get involved right at that point when, and you're trying to, you know, make something good out of maybe a, a bad situation. But sometimes it's partnership breakups. A lot of times you have, and what's most interesting to me about the business is you have a lot of these people who own these buildings were immigrants to the United States, ended up in New York City, came here with $40, $50 in their pocket, bought these buildings in the 1970s, went through these whole unbelievable lifetimes of experiences and now they're 60, 70, you know, something years old. And they say, look, I've just worked too hard. I want to do something else. Give us an average price of 60 years ago to purchase a, a, a multifamily building. Average, you know. Um, I was on the phone with an owner on Friday who was talking about buildings on the Upper West Side off of Central Park West. Basically being able to buy them for five and $10,000. Yeah. 
It, it was so insane. We, we have one for getting... Soho. I mean, like Soho is yes. a much more recent history yes. of the same thing in the 80s. I mean, we're talking 70s and 80s in Soho where you were picking up huge And today they're selling spaces. or reselling for tens of millions. Yeah, tens absolutely. of millions of dollars. I have one client uh, uh, in the Bronx, and this is several years ago. His name was Moses, and he decided... Uh, he, he decided to buy additional buildings in the Bronx instead of Tribeca because he thought Tribeca was a terrible neighborhood. Uh, his loss. <laughs> so, yes. that, I mean, that gives you I a sense myself of, for of what it was like. Listen, when yeah. I first started working in the city, and I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, I used to, my was working downtown. And so a friend of mine and I would kind of walk around the Tribeca neighborhood, you know, during lunchtime. We're not talking that many years ago, and Tribeca was a pit. It was awful. It was disgusting. So I can almost imagine, I wouldn't choose the Bronx in those days over Tribeca anyway, but still, Tribeca was not aesthetically pretty. It was not amusing. Nothing about Tribeca was fun. I, I would was also walking like... around the Lower East Side mm-hmm. about Same eight thing. years ago going, oh my God, look at all of these possibilities. And those are the possibilities that have been capitalized on in the last eight years. I, I would wait. I would like to add, though, one thing to what Peter said. I, I also think another reason why these longtime owners sell is that they get approached a lot by developers and people who want to buy throughout Correct. the years, and they usually turn them down Correct. for whatever the reason is. But I've noticed lately that with rezoning comes changes in owners' minds. I, I've no, noticed, like with the rezoning of East Harlem, that a lot of longtime owners and multifamilies are actually, you know, um, entertaining offers from developers and people who want to buy and create, and and even the hospital up there, and them trying to buy more land around it, um, because now these owners can, with the rezoning, can even not only make a bigger profit, but they can even buy into the project that they're gonna work on there so it, it creates more of an interesting opportunity for them agree go ahead that's been one of the ways we've found most of our, a lot of our buyers who have bought in manhattan because you take these owners who have owned in queens and brooklyn particularly brooklyn and they've owned these you know they may be one or two story buildings that end up becoming development sites and they say i've never thought that i could sell this and buy a 30, 40, 50 million dollar building in Manhattan. And they look at this as, okay, this is my time to, to jump off. So what is trending what's trending now in your market space? Is it the the Bronx, you know, is it is it a neighborhood or a new neighborhood or something that's becoming the it neighborhood? Or is it people selling after 60 years, or is it people wanting to invest in these properties today because they think it's a good deal? What is the actual trend that's happening in, in commercial you're seeing, multifamily? Okay, you're seeing a lot of articles about the Bronx. Last year, 2016, you had over $3 billion invested in the Bronx development and also property transactions. So it's been a huge year for the Bronx. We uh, just closed a $40 million transaction last week in the Bronx. But I would say the biggest trend that we're seeing right now is that after the election, we had a low point in terms of cycle activity, which was basically between the third and fourth quarter last year. And after the election, you saw interest rates come up slightly, and now they are where they are. But what what I think is trickling through the mindset of owners right now is that anyone who is thinking about selling in the next two or three years has decided to come to market today. I'm going to sell today, and I'm no longer going to be inflexible with my asking price and how I'm going to react to the market. So that's really what we're seeing and how we're being more, most successful with people is that inventory is coming to market and it's 
you know, it's priced more appropriately. Are you guys seeing that on the residential side? <laughs> I, I, I mean, appropriately, it's all over the place, I would say. Um, Appropriate subjective? Yeah, that's, yes. it's a very general <laughs> okay. word. Um, I think that it We're depends. We're trying I think, to find the footing on, in a lot of areas. In right a lot now. of ways, like developers are becoming a little more realistic. But at the same time, on the resale side, we feel that a lot of sellers are still in the clouds. But at but then, but wait, also to add, I think we were just talking about this when we were off the air. I think a huge just um, phase that we're in a multifamilies are these um, are these conversions in Brooklyn. I think these up and coming areas, these fringe neighborhoods in Brooklyn where, um, you know, these developers are actually getting out of Manhattan and flipping it brownstones and flipping multifamilies and creating two and three family new construction that they bought for like 500,000 and they're now selling for 1.8 to two. I think that is a huge deal. And we're right also now. seeing a lot more of um, sort of first time quote unquote developers, like younger people buying those smaller mixed use or, you know, multifamily properties out in Brooklyn. Um, we're also seeing that in Queens as well. How are you educating your sellers? People always ask me. So you said, oh, maybe the prices are a little subjective or they're not fully there. When you have that scenario, how are you guys? I take them on the golf course. No, just, um, <laughs> that may work. I, by the way. I mean, it works. I, it works. Yeah. I get asked this question all the time. I'm, I'm interested to hear. Parul and I yeah. work very similarly. So okay. uh, I would say that we headlocks. We <laughs> we text each other <laughs> during our pitches. No, I, you know, I always I always say first of all, never compare a resale to new development. And when you're comping things out, you know, these days instead of comping them, doing comparables based on what's on the market, what's sold, I actually like to see how long things are taken again to contract and how many price decreases they had to go through. And that's also, the best way to educate. It, we really have to, as brokers, stay on top of our market these days. So it's not like you can just look up online where the last sales were and be and, and that be efficient enough. Um, in fact, a lot of times what I see is I will walk into somebody else's open house and I'll just have a conversation with the broker and I'll say, oh, so what else are people seeing who are coming in to see this or what else is a comparable to this specific unit? And I'm shocked, frankly, at how often brokers can't answer that question because to me, knowing what else somebody in that price category is looking at, how this compares and where the price will fall logically is also a big piece of the education. And Parole's an amazing broker. Sorry, I was, I was going to say, because that is what's so important to do. Like I, I've had a few, I just went to contract on an apartment I was selling in Tribeca and I've had a bunch of really great brokers in the business call me and say, hey, how long did it take you? How was your feedback? How was your turnouts at the open houses? We're trying to get our seller to lower their price to be a little more realistic. That's what great brokers do. And we are still continually in what we call like a bargainer's market. So, you know, from our end, it's sort of like, it's not about what the ask price is almost like a suggestion at this point. And then we sort of have to do our homework and really be on top of market. But what's interesting to me about where the market is right now is it's actually creating a lot of value for brokers who know what they're doing. 100%. Because there's so much information and misinformation out there on the internet that I think that a lot of people are, we see a lot of direct buyers these days. I don't know about you guys, but I'm seeing uh, a lot a of direct lot, buyers. A lot, a lot. And it's Especially because there's this, there, yeah, there's this false 
um, sort of bravado of, oh, I think I know what I'm doing because I can look at this stuff myself and I don't need you as a broker. And what I find is just grave mistakes left, right, and center on the part of buyers. Yeah. And so anybody, even when direct buyers walk into into whatever it is that I'm selling, I say to them, you know, look, this is great, you know, and it, especially like my fiduciary in that case is to my seller. However, if they're not interested in my property at all and they're look, going to go somewhere else, I say, you know what, you don't have to use me, but I would highly suggest given that you're a first time buyer or even though you're doing this for a second time, the market's just a really interesting place right now. It doesn't cost you anything. You might think you're going to save a few pennies on negotiation if you don't come in with a broker, but it's sort of penny wise, pound foolish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a whole bunch of things, and yeah, I and, and just really to is. just to mention something too, you know, as you just said, Parul, in in new development, I'm seeing the past two weeks, I would say 95 percent of the people buyers coming in are coming in direct and without uh, brokers, and you know, there's good and good and bad with that, as you just described. But um, anyway, I want to come back and talk about the book uh, after these messages. Uh, Peter wrote a book, Family Secrets: Secret Strategies to New York City Multifamily Investing. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Peter and Parul and with Matthew. So, Peter, um, I wanted to ask you about your book, Family Secrets, Secret Strategies to New York City Multifamily Investing. What was the impetus for you to write this book? And, you know, in, in our real estate careers, all of us can probably agree we hardly have time to sleep someday. So how do you find the time to write a book? Right. Well, do you have cameras in my apartment? What's happening? Because yeah, the last yeah. two nights, I literally have, have time no to slept. sleep. <laughs> I've had I have the time to sleep five hours a night for the last three nights. It's amazing. It's I'm really it's awesome. I'm not complaining, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, I didn't sleep last night because yeah. I never sleep on Monday nights yeah. before the show. But anyway, okay. so well, your time you know, maybe from? maybe my impetus was because I was sleeping too much. Because we all have our our stories about 
the time after 2008 and 2009. And so after a couple of months of starting off the year in 2009 and there's just silence, you'd walk in, there'd be silence, no no emails, no phone, no nothing. No one wanted to do anything. And dead. And I, so finally I said, I need to do something this year that will be valuable for me maybe two years or three years down the line. And I had always had this idea in the back of my head. You guys meet a lot of characters just in this business. I meet a lot of characters, not in the buy, only in the buyers and sellers and other players, but the tenant stories yes, that I sure. encounter, especially these rent-stabilized tenants. You got hoarders. You got all sorts of these New York City scenarios. There was just a really crazy clip on the New York Post a couple of weeks ago, like you know, last weekend. So I, I'm like, I have all this stuff in my head. Why don't I just put it out there? I wasn't doing anything else because there was nothing to do, and so that was the first reason to to do it, and it was a lot of fun. It's cathartic, as, as, as a lot of writers you know, who do it often say, and I've said for years, I'm going to write a book, and boy, believe me, when I write a book, it's going to be a book. <laughs> and I've been threatening to do this for, I don't know, the last 10 years at least in my mind, but you know, I can never really kind of sit down and just even put down a, 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 an outline. Right. Vince is yeah. going to write a book right. about his taxi stories. Yes, I think you could bang that out like in that alone, three weeks. Oh my God, yeah. so it wouldn't much. even take yeah. you time. <laughs> Well, as part of being a real estate professional in this town for all these years, that obviously is a, is a big part of it. That and Uber and a lot of other things. But well, you sound like when you say that that yours would be more of a tell-all type. Uh, it would have some of that. You know, you never know. Yeah, right. You never know. All right, let's go. Uh, moving on. A Bronx real estate boom, as we talked about before, helped to create more than 365 buildings in the borough last year, according to a report released last Wednesday. Residents who say the surge is part of the Bronx's growing popularity hope the new developments don't price out their neediest neighbors. Bronx Borough President Ruben Diaz Jr., who's been a guest on this show, annual development report found that more than $3 billion was invested in new residential, commercial, hospital, and school properties in 2016. That represented a 37% jump from 2015, where there was about $2.3 billion in real estate investment. People are seeing that we're not the Bronx of yesteryear, Diaz says. We're more than just the Yankees. We're more than just the Bronx Zoo. So my question to you guys on the commercial side and the residential side, what are the odds that the Bronx is going to become the next it neighborhood? I mean, I hear so many different opinions, pro or con. Will it become that next neighborhood? Well, I think, you know, what we see from the residential side in terms of rentals is that you really see two distinct parts of the market developing. You have the higher end and the upper middle end of, of rents, which have gone very high. And there's a certain part of, you know, a big part of the population that just can't hit those levels. And then you have the middle to lower part of the market. And that's where the real housing crunch is. You've got enough supply in the upper end of the market. You don't have enough supply in the low-income and middle-income part of the market. And so the growth of the, the Bronx has more affordable housing than any, any other borough in the city. And so the growth of the Bronx, I think, is going to be tied into that. You're going to have, you know, a lot of the development that's coming online is, you know, there to help alleviate that. And to the extent that uh, you have a, a mix of the gentrification and the development there, I think you'll start to see some pockets open up that will uh, be interesting to watch in the Bronx. On the residential side, guys, so do you have clients saying to you, because I actually did have one recently say, well, you know, maybe there's something to explore up in the South Bronx because of all the buzz I'm hearing. Do you, you know, hear I, anything about I'm this? I'm hearing it as, fan, as like, you know, it's a passing fancy sort of thing. 
um, or a consideration that they'd like to entertain, but not something that they're actually kind of jumping on, which, you know, even on a personal note, I think that that might be a mistake. Like, I think there's so much going on. And for all of us who were just, I mean, earlier in the show, we were talking about like, oh yeah, like West Chelsea and Lower East Side and even the guy who passed on Tribeca. Well, you know, we're the guys who are passing on South Bronx right now if we don't jump in and do something. So I do think that there is merit to looking in those areas. Um, But I think our day-to-day, at least my day-to-day, isn't so focused on people with who are looking for those opportunities. I will say I love the term that they've coined, sobro. I think it's great. Um, yeah. But other than that, <laughs> yeah. other than that, my opinion is not um, super positive about it. I, I think it's very difficult up there because you have so many co-ops um, in the Bronx, and and on top of that, you know, I think it was easy when 10, 20 years ago, developers and and people were going through Harlem and going through Hamilton Heights and Washington Heights and gentrifying those areas because you were able to say to people, hey, you know, go up, people who live on the Upper West Side, push up to Harlem. You know, you do have the express trains on 125th. People who live in Harlem, push up to Hamilton Heights. Like you do have 145th. But the Bronx is very far. I think there's a point where you have to say, how far outside of the center of the city can you push things? And and hey, we're seeing it from Woodside and Jackson Heights and Queens and people are pushing far out. But I don't know. I mean, the Bronx is far. I, I think it's very difficult in a lot of ways. I think you're right about the co-ops, the, the abundance of co-ops, uh, and certainly, certainly in certain areas of the Bronx. But I think all the new build that's going to be happening in the South Bronx area, you know, the glass structures, the glass towers, that I think is appealing or more enticing to maybe the investor who, as Perul just said a little while ago, maybe we snoozed in these village, maybe we snoozed in Soho, we don't want to snooze again and lose out. So maybe I want to invest in something brand new in the South Bronx and rent it or, you know, keep it for a while. And then as it really becomes something, I sell it and I make lots of money. Well, that Matthew's gets into earlier yeah, point, sorry. though, um, he, you know, I, I do think that at least from the conversations that I'm a part of, and this is very, you know, it, it's not, I feel like this, this isn't exactly data that I'm speaking from <clears> as much as his personal experience. Um, what I'm finding is it seems that there's a lot more opportunity and a lot more growth that is kind of imminent in kind of the edges, outer edges of the big Brooklyn neighborhoods that we all have seen grown already than there is towards Bronx. So if I were to sort of have, you know, X amount of dollars to either invest here or there, I think I would put it towards Brooklyn. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I also think that Vince brings up a good point because, hey, uh, the investors that are abroad or, you know, don't necessarily live here, I think what will make it interesting and what Peter said is the way these new buildings are built and what the, you know, percentages of low-income housing, middle-income housing, regular housing will be because if these developers do in Incorporate low to middle income housing in their projects, and the there are abatements in these buildings. Then I think that you will see a lot of investors buying there because your you know net income after you're renting them out will be interesting. But if the abatements are not great, I just don't think the rental numbers are high enough in the Bronx for it to work for an investor. Right, one hundred percent agreed. Go ahead. But I think that there's an equity value that you can you have to look at in the sense that if you purchase now, even if you're not getting a good cap rate, you know, are these properties still going to be valuable 
for ownership five years, seven years down the yes, line. Yes, true. So but I as, think that that's the bigger value proposition. But as we all know, those investor types that are fixed on cap rate, even though you try and talk value, which is more important than right. current cap rate, they still get stuck on, well, you what's know, my I income? Need, what's right. my income? I need a certain amount, you know. But I, I think if you're looking at the Bronx, you have to, do, you're not looking at the Bronx and investments there as, okay, I watched this happen in Brooklyn over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is going to be the next Brooklyn. Yeah. The Bronx is its, whole, its, own, it's, its own thing, completely yeah. different thing. 100%. And so I think if you're looking for the next Brooklyn, don't go to the Bronx. Go to some of the new areas in Brooklyn. All right, let's okay. move on. So spring is finally here, and that means the apartment shopping season is about to kick into high gear. I and my business have seen that in just the last week and a half. As supply has remained low compared to record demand, developers are attempting to fill that void by adding new inventory to the market at a feverish pace. The New York City skyline is filled with cranes and construction crews while sales teams are starting to market these new condo developments uh, and conversions. Lower Manhattan south of Canal Street happens to be one of the greatest benefactors of this haste to get new properties on the market. With this entire neighborhood rapidly evolving, there are five new developments that will have transformational impact on their surrounding neighborhoods. And I wanted to ask you guys, because you two especially spend a lot of time uh, in that neighborhood, 70 Vestry Street by Related. Price point, 7.2 to $65 million, okay? One seaport, 1.2 million to 18 million in inventory. 49 Chambers, the Chetrit Group, 1.9 to 5.2 million in apartment sales. 111 Murray, 1.5 to 18.9 million. And one Wall Street, uh, Harry Macklow, pricing not announced, and that's going to be a core development. Is that correct? It is. It is a core. It's a great one. Okay. <laughs> so you know, comments, guys. What I mean, what is what is still exciting about the downtown below Canal Street neighborhood that still continues to drive the price points of these developments sky high. I I love <clears throat> excuse me I love South of Canal Street. Um, I hang out there a lot, and you know you have obviously <laughs> on the west side you have the entrance to the Holland Tunnel, so that that's not amazing it's for some little, people. It's a little but clumsy. It's a other, little clumsy. Other than the Holland Tunnel entrance and exit, um, you have so much going on. I almost bought a one ninety five Hudson Street when that new development was up, and the reason I didn't was because of that entrance. See, mm-hmm. so you know, don't poo poo it. Well, um, for, it's for people who are like. You know, af- afraid there's not any gritty- grittiness downtown. They can just walk around there and exactly they can get their dose of grittiness. Right? But I mean, you have some of the best developments I personally feel going on in the city in that area. You have, you know, one that you um, <clears throat> didn't say, which I mean, probably because it's so far along. But 443 Greenwich is one of the most gorgeous new developments in the city, and yeah, it's, these and are, it's these all are the, the way. Ones. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you have developers realizing that. People used to, just like we've talked about, they used to go to the core of these neighborhoods and that's where they would start building and then it would keep going outside and outside and then you get to the edges and Tribeca was a place where no one would go east of church and now and now everyone's buying between church and Broadway. No one would go, you know, north of Leonard and now people are buying on um, Lispinard, and, you know, streets where it was all hookers and, and drug dealers. And, and I've you always know, loved Lispinard, not yeah, when it was ex- hookers, but exactly. I just loved the street. <laughs> no, it's a gorgeous cobblestone street. And, you know, so, so people are finding that these projects are very interesting. Um, well, it's, you know, just, it's demand. It's it's all 
driven yeah. by demand. And it's also, if you look at this city, you know, it's just changed and become so livable and increasingly more and more and more so since the 90s onward. So, you know, it's like the cities has gotten cleaned up in neighborhoods that were not so clean and built up in the neighborhoods that weren't so built up. And so it just keeps on making those edges more and more palatable also as people look for more optionality, which is why I think that there is a huge proposition in um in 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 purchasing even smaller multifamily homes and and investing in sort of those fringe markets whether it be in Manhattan, Bronx, Brooklyn because the population growth is what's driving it all really and and the and the change from wanting to live in suburbs to really wanting to live in the cities. And Pearl, like I would love to hear what you have to say about this because we we talk <laughs> about seconds. it we we talk about it off air but you know all of the developments that are going on east of Broadway now, I mm-hmm. think will be very interesting because 49 Chambers, for example, these are gorgeous projects in an area that there's not as much going on west of the courthouse, but the taxes are insanely high mm-hmm. in that location for some reason. So I'm very intrigued to see what happens with that. All right, we have to take a break. We'll be back right after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I just wanted to make a couple of comments on the last topic here about the new developments downtown. You know, we were talking off air just a minute ago. You know, these streets, Vestry Street, Seaport, Chambers, Murray, Wall Street. I worked in corporate for 20 years before I was in real estate, and I worked downtown, and I would walk through these streets. They were all commercial buildings. They were all uh, workplaces. There was hardly any retail. There was no grocery, nothing. So, you know, I look at these extraordinary, wonderful new development condos today and think, back to my corporate days and say, wow, who would ever live here? Now, you can't keep people away. But let's talk about a very important topic on this, and that is 
well, I could I could talk about the developments in this area forever, but the zoning is very important to look out for because the zoning in these areas are quite flexible. So what happens is Five Beekman, for example, which is a great new project that's, you know, 75% sold out, about halfway through their sales, they found out that another building was approved to be built right next door to it. So one whole half of that building is losing their views. I got to tell you, those buyers are not happy and no, they they are probably going to lose money and people who are living there are going to have no view. So you have to be careful of where you buy into. Um, and that's why, you know, we talk about 49 Chambers, 101 Leonard. Um, these are great projects in an area that's very up and coming, fringing Tribeca. But just just have a great broker who can research these areas and see what else is coming in. How long would they have to hold for for them not to lose money? Um, I got to tell you, I don't know if that's possible. I, mean, I don't know. Well, Seriously, I don't know oh, if you it's... you mean for those that... I, I mean, unless, it, you, unless it's your 60-year multi-family owners. I think it's very hard when you yeah. buy into a building and another one's built right on top of you and you lose everything. How do you ever gain... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just think it's funny. I mean, there are just times when it's unfortunately a bad investment, no yeah. matter wh- how high the market is, right? So. All right, so I guess it's safe to say that Lower Manhattan is having its moment. It's thriving with the continued new development and redevelopment taking place. Current property owners are set to benefit from increasing property values. New buyers will also have their pick. As new residents flood the downtown market, communities are evolving and the neighborhoods are continuing to change for the better. As I said, it didn't even exist when I worked down there. Uh, Long gone is the stigma that Lower Manhattan is just an office crowded community. Residents are making this part of the city their home and the developers have taken note and thanks to all the developers out there who have um, you know identified these opportunities and for the brokerage houses who are encouraging them from a marketing and sales perspective that yes there is life downtown and yes there is life below Canal Street because we we in the industry commercial and residential are seeing all of that with that said, in the world of New York City real estate, there is no shortage of issues to consider when negotiating a contract. This is especially true if you're considering new development or building undergoing a condo conversion, an existing building that they're converting to condo, as we talked about earlier. That's because there is a significant time lag between signing a purchase contract and the closing where conditions can change. This is where a right to assign clause for you as the buyer can be a real bonus. Now, here's the the question. Does this really exist in New York City? My quick answer is no. When I first bought my first apartment in Westchester, uh, condo conversion, in my contract, there was a right to assign that contract if for whatever reason we couldn't close by a certain date or I decided I didn't want it anymore. As long as the developer knew that I assigned it to someone else, that was okay. In New York City, as far as I know, that does not ever exist. Not true. Yeah, I not agree true. With um, it's everything is negotiable, and um, you know, especially in right now, what is the bargainers market? Um, if a developer is getting, you know, if they're sticking to their price a little bit, and um, and you don't know if that can be negotiated. I've negotiated recently, you know, a bathtub instead of a stall shower, for example, you know, or vice versa. 
um, or certain, you know, plantings or, you know, make sure that there's a grill included on the terrace along with the a certain amount of landscaping. It all depends on what they're already doing in the building and what you can piggy, piggyback on. But this, uh, the reassigning of a contract, I just negotiated that on two deals in the I last also, year yeah, and a half. And from a buyer's perspective, right. you really want this. Yeah. Um, you know, we see it on the commercial side. Most buyers want it, but the, and sellers don't want it but, because they want to ensure a closing. I agree. But let me ask you the let me ask you the question. So, you know, what what's the benefit to the developer or or the seller? I mean, to you know that that just could potentially complicate the 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 timeline of the of the transaction. Get ready to close. All of a sudden, I'm Mr. Purchase to say, oops, you know what? I decide I want to flip my contract. I don't want to do this anymore. It's right, not that but simple. it's not. Yeah, exactly. Because there's no mortgage contingency for this person or that person. There's still a 30-day close notice. So all the rules still apply even if the contract is reassigned. So it really doesn't uh, affect the developer if the contract's written out properly as long as it's not complete with the units that developer still has on the market. Right. And there's, there's a counterintuitive na- uh, nature to this because if the seller allows a little bit of flexibility, he really gives the buyer more options. And, you know, on the commercial side, we see buyers who are, you know, they're putting together partners. Mm-hmm. They may have to swap a partner out. They may have to assign it. Yeah, there is the possibility that they can flip the contract and make some money while they were in and contract. And that happens quite yeah, that, often that happens that happens and, and yes. no seller likes that. Right. But, you know, the seller wants to close and maybe you know, having a little flexibility actually makes your contract stronger. And for people Absolutely. and for people out there, I think that on the residential side, this is more of a new development thing because mm, I absolutely. will I will say that on the resale side, right. contracts is much more standard. It's, you know, two to three month closing. That's kind of it. But, you know, on the new development side, even more than like the right to assign, I, I see a lot of, you know, people these days and in the last two years adding in a right to withdraw of the contract because and where that has come into play with a lot of new developments is that, um, you know, after a year, if the development is still not finished and the buyer still can't close, then they usually have a right to withdraw in their yeah, contract. Because, I mean, there are because, buildings like, for instance, well, those, like 56 yes. Leonard even, you exactly. know, it's taken years to build that and it's such an iconic, gorgeous building. But, you know, we run into those things in this town all the time. And so, there I mean, there's always an outside date in these contracts, but it's usually so pro the developer. Um, and, yeah, we are seeing people push back and negotiating that because right now we're in a market where it's not a line out the door on a new development where people are signing contracts on, like, practically on the spot where there's just no room for negotiation, which is something, you know, we all saw in 2005, 2006, 2007. So... Very true. All right. So our last topic of the day for New Yorkers, apartment living oftentimes comes down to space breakdown. Question is, is it better to have an extra large living room or a bedroom with enough square footage for, say, a bed and a cozy chair or desk? Now, I've recently gone back into new developments and and I have a couple of apartments where the bedroom might be bigger than the, the living space, for example. And I'm watching the expressions on people's faces because everybody has a different opinion. Which would you prefer, a larger living room, living space, or a larger bedroom? It's Simple all question. personal. I think that's the best answer. I, don't know, um, I know that, but, it, in, it, but in your <laughs> in your client, you know, shenanigans every day, every week. What do you see your customers really preferring? One of my this is a good one. One of my clients is a very famous basketball player, and um, he and his wife, when they were looking to buy um, a year ago, um, they place more emphasis on instead of space height 
and and so they they think more about the ceiling height. But as on top of that, they don't care as much That's about living room width and length as much as they care about it in the bedroom because they need a California king. So he cannot fit in a normal bed. So <laughs> when you need a bigger bed, then I would say you probably need more space in the bedroom. That's an extraordinary <laughs> example. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, pretty unique there. <laughs> but, but in, but in <laughs> but it, but reality, I find that people probably want it in the living room more because <laughs> in the bedroom, they just need their bed. Well, you know what, though? I think that that, that was a, a really great story because I think sometimes the best analogies are the ones like analogies by extreme, right? So it's like that way, like you're really illustrating a point by magnifying it, right? And, and I think that that was a great point because I do think it's exceptionally personal and like for instance if there's a couple buying a one bedroom and one of them works from home and they need something that feels more like a cubbyhole or office you know or at least a desk somewhere it's better to put that in the bedroom than the general living area but by and large I'd say most people prefer more entertainment space and maybe there's a third maybe there's a third option you know maybe the third option in 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 my world and matt in matt's world um, is closet space like like put that extra space into the into the storage well Well, and everybody had go ahead i don't know if you guys see this but you know in the uh you know in our in the multifamily side we would see the tendency to increase the living room and have a flex option in the living room so you could take that one bedroom and turn it into a two if Mm -hmm. you had to or you know in the future if you wanted to rent it out that way so i don't know if you guys see that type of you know looking at that's kind of oh well what if we don't we live here for a couple years and then we hold on to it and we use it as a rental that type of well anyway the verdict is larger living room the verdict of the survey that we that they conducted was larger living i personally would like to have larger living space because i like friends over and entertain so Uh, That works for me. We are out of time for today. That's our show. Thanks to my guests and panel, as always. We will be back next week. Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.